Welcome to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. I'm Sari Shrike, the artist and creator behind Not Sorry Art and Not Sorry Art School. I'm so excited to talk art and creativity with you. So grab a drink, grab a snack, and let's dive in. This episode of the Not Sorry Art Podcast is brought to you by Not Sorry Art School. Not Sorry Art School is my online art school I created two and a half years ago to supplement my workshop teaching when the pandemic hit. It became a really great resource where I could put all of my knowledge about representational painting into one space. We add one new section or demo every quarter to Not Sorry Art School, and you don't have to pay a membership fee. You pay one time, and then you get access to all of the past videos and all future videos. Not Sorry Art School has an online Facebook group where I have office hours every Monday, and I answer questions within the Not Sorry Art School Facebook group. And there's also a wonderful sense of community on there where people will share their paintings and get great consensual feedback. I'm really excited about Not Sorry Art School. So if you're interested, make sure to click the link and check out the about page to learn more about Not Sorry Art School. Hey y'all, I'm Sari and welcome back to the Not Sorry Art Podcast. Today, I'm happy to welcome a guest who has helped my business with her talent for website design and graphic design. She's also just a fantastic visionary for creatives looking to grow their business with the magic that sets them apart. Sam Rembolt is the founder of Passion Land, which provides offer strategies to help guide creative small business owners to the resources and solutions that will help their presence stand out in a crowd. That sounds like a mouthful, but basically the TLDR is she helps find a way to tether people's passions to actual ways they can generate income and make it a real deal business. Ideas are fun, but putting those into practice is so important and she definitely has a skill for that. I met Sam last year when she was running her previous business, Fonts and Colors, and she helped me build a beautiful website with an immense functionality that has enhanced my art business tremendously. Can't thank her enough. Sam is not only incredibly knowledgeable of business best practices as the founder of multiple small businesses in her career, but she also has a great outlook on social media, work-life balance that's very valuable for the modern solopreneur. I can attest that I'm not always the best at maintaining that work-life balance. So it was great to hear Sam's lessons for giving yourself the space and rest as a way to grow your business and increase productivity in the long run. I hope you enjoy our conversation and be sure to check out the show notes for Sam's book recommendations and links to her site and social media channels. Welcome, Sam. Thank you so much for being here. I am I am so excited to talk with you. It's one of those interviews where I kind of find myself like giddy all day. I'm like, oh, I get to chat with Sam. So thank you so much for being here. Same. (laughs) Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Also, I was looking at your podcast um, on Apple Podcasts. Your community is so into this podcast. There are so many five-star reviews. I don't know if you look at reviews, but they're so kind. I do. I always ask for reviews. I know it's probably annoying, but I do. I ask and if if I'm going to plug it, but if you add a review, I read off everyone's handle on air. So that maybe that has something to do with it, but no, my, oh. my, my community is amazing. And I, wow. this podcast was just very much like out of appreciation and gratitude for them. So yeah, very full circle moment, but thank you for noticing that put a lot of love wow. into that. But I think I should start by saying how we kind of know each other. So for context, I found Sam as I find most of my favorites recently, which is on TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) And I really liked your content about graphic design. I thought you had a just like a fun person. I mean, just 
you know, you knew a lot about what you were doing, but then also just like a fun personality. And then I needed to redo my website and you were doing graphic design and website design at the time. And the stars lined mm-hmm. up perfectly. I, I hired you and you and your team helped me build my website, which by the way, I get so many compliments on and I'm always, people are always asking me and I'm like, oh, we'll get into the full breakdown, but you no longer do that. Um, no. So <laughs> I, I met you there, but one thing I've learned about you is that you are multi-passionate and I know that word gets thrown around a lot, but what I'm excited about for this episode is having you break down, not only what does it mean to be multi-passionate, but I think what's going to be more helpful is how do you navigate being someone who is, is good at a lot of different things, has passions in different places. How do you handle all that? Because I know a lot of people who probably are going to resonate with that particular, I'm not going to call it a struggle because you've made it amazing, but what can feel like a struggle. Mm-hmm. But anyways, could you, could you give us a pitch of kind of what you do and like maybe a little bit of like how you got there so my audience can know a little bit more about you? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I'm Sam Rembolt. I um, am the founder of Passion Land. Um, I help people with their offer strategy. So I describe myself as an offer strategist and business BFF. So I really love to help creatives, small business owners, particularly online solopreneurs, uh, folks who are running businesses that are differently than like businesses our parents ran, um, or, you know, the generation above us ran, I guess. Um, And uh, I help them figure out how to find their magic, how to turn that magic into offers, which are products and services, things that people can access, and then how to uh, use systems and automation so that your business can run and you don't have to be in it all the time. I'm really trying to help people break the cycle of becoming workaholics or feeling like they are their work. I know I've struggled with that before where you feel like what you make is who you are. And I really want to help people separate that and realize that they are creative people who make things and that you can make things and those things can work for you. And you don't have to be working all the time or, you know, be overly committed. Um, but that is a newer venture for me. I started that in October, 2022. So just like less than a year ago. Before that, I was running a graphic design agency. And before that, I was running a business called Fancy Sips, which did uh, mixology classes. We did virtual mixology classes. And that was a really big business during the pandemic. And then as people began to go back to work, we had such a a corporate, uh, we had a lot of corporate partnerships. So during the pandemic, we worked with a lot of big tech companies to do their virtual team building events. Um, And throughout that process, I started playing around with graphic design. I'd hired a web designer to build the Fancy Sips website, and I realized that she had a really fun job. And so I started dabbling with a graphic design agency, and I called it Fonts and Colors, and I ran that for um, a little over a year. And then that's how we worked together. I was doing that graphic design agency. Um, During that process, I'm like working backwards and forwards here. During the process of running the graphic design agency, I realized that I had uh, a real passion for Um, business strategy and running a different kind of business. I think it's really easy for us to build businesses that um, actually become like (laughs) some of the worst jobs we've ever had. And I wanted to help people not make jobs for themselves, but build businesses that brought them creativity and joy. And so that's where Passion Land came in. Yes, I love that. And I will just say as someone who sort of watched from the outside how you've navigated things, I feel like it's been really refreshing to see someone 
not push themselves through burnout. And I think when people do that, it's out of a place of gratitude. You know, all of those jobs sound so exciting and so fun and so entrepreneurial and kind of everything you would envision if you wanted to start your own business. But the ability to sort of walk mm-hmm. away from success and prioritize like your own needs and desires, I think has just been, it's inspired me. But I wanted to ask you a question about, mm-hmm. you know, it sounds like you do a really good job sort of checking in with yourself. And I think sometimes as entrepreneurs and artists, we can really struggle with that. And so I I know whenever we discuss kind of how we transition from one job to the next, there's this real propensity to have sort of this LinkedIn polished way that that looks. And I think that that's fantastic. And we all should be able to sort of synthesize our process that way. But I, I'm curious if you could break down kind of what that journey looked like a little bit in more of like um in its rawness in the sense that like when mm-hmm. like did you when you got the mixology class did you start to where, where were the little bits of maybe I don't want to do this forever what were the red flags mm-hmm. what was your dialogue like your inner dialogue and then again with the graphic design business you know what was going on in your mind that led you to say well maybe I'm going to walk away from something I'm good at and is successful for the sake of something mm-hmm. else like what is the nitty-gritty I guess is what I'm getting at behind those decisions? Because I think that can be really helpful for people to hear. Totally. Oh, I love that question. Okay. So I want to kick this off by saying that I think our businesses, and when I say businesses too, I have like a really hard time with that word because it feels so um, hard and black and white. And I want to say businesses can also be projects. So if you, if you don't have a business, but you're working on something or you have a project or a passion that you're, um, connected to, I think that all of those feel a lot like romantic relationships. And so like every business that I've had has felt like a long-term like lover. And I (laughs) joke that I am super comfortable, like breaking up with someone. And I am, I am so happy to end something that isn't working because I, I think like, if you're, if you're in a relationship with someone, there are parts of it that are amazing and that you take with them. Maybe they taught you how to make delicious homemade pasta, but like you had very different philosophical beliefs. And so it doesn't work out, but when you go into your next relationship, you can make that person amazing homemade pasta. And like, that's beautiful. There are beautiful parts of every relationship, whether they're romantic or business that you take with you. So old businesses in hindsight, I do want to clarify that like, I am immensely grateful for them and everything that I learned from them. But there was a point in each one that was sort of like, and it's a big thing on social media. Now we're talking about your icks, like where they gave me the ick and I just could not come back from that. So uh, with the mixology class business, um, it actually came partly from the industry and partly from my personal life. The industry was slowing down in 2020. The business was, it was in person. And then as the pandemic hit, we went virtual and it went from just being me to having a team of six full-time employees. And I won't lie. It was the most successful business I'd ever run. We, we were adding employees as fast as we, or as quickly as we could. We were booking out. It was just it was so easy to run that business because the demand was so high. And then it was very much reliant on people working from home. So as people stopped working from home as much, the industry changed. And so that was part of it. Um, And it was a mixology class business. It was very alcohol focused. Um, And in my personal life, I had some family members struggling really badly with addiction and it became really hard for me to want to work on growing this business 
because I just didn't feel connected to it. I really genuinely didn't like that I was encouraging people to drink, even though I was giving them a, you know, they were doing it at home because they were taking mixology classes from home and they were learning the art of it. I'm not downplaying the art of mixology. I do think, you know, it's fun to play around with making your own drinks. And I really tried to push our mocktail classes, but they just weren't a hit with the corporate clients. So I just found that I didn't want to get out of bed. And this is a big test for me. If I don't want to get out of bed to work on something, I should probably look at that. It just makes me really want to focus on that. So I just didn't want to get out of bed and encourage people to drink. Um, And so that was kind of the downfall of that. Like I just couldn't come back from that moment. At the downfall of uh, the fancy Sips Mixology classes, I started working on graphic design and I found that was a lot more creatively fulfilling. I got to work with other business owners, which was really fun to going from like working with someone at Google versus like a small business owner who had a project that she was really excited about. I just, I loved that connection to the people who felt like me. Um, and I had a lot of creative fun with that. And at What's crazy is that both the mixology class business and the graphic design businesses, they were six figure businesses in the first year. Like they were on paper, extremely successful. And so that made it even harder when I fell out of love with each of them, because you're not only walking away from a project that you've poured yourself into, but you're also walking away from, you know, financial stability. I mean, that money was really game changing for my family and, and for, the things that I was able to do with it. And so I was, um, I had to look that directly in the eye when I was making decisions to evolve to something else. Um, so with the, with the graphic design agency, it it started out as being like a burst, a flood of creativity, joy. Um, and then it got to a point where the more successful it became, the less, and then it just led to pure, creative burnout. And then I had to take a long break and I eventually, um, sunsetted that or evolved it into what I do now, which is passion land. Yeah. That's a a wonderful journey. I think you shared a lot of really good insights in there. And I, you know, I particularly liked and resonated with what you were saying about, you know, your first business and how it was successful. And I think there's a lot of excitement in this feeling of like, oh, I can go out and make something and make a business and Mm -hmm. it can be, you know, successful. And I know that that term can mean lots of different things, but I feel like, you know, one thing that really seems like one of your strong suits is you know, the difference between, I think a lot of people get caught up with calling themselves lazy And I struggle Mm -hmm. with the word lazy because I don't think it does a very good job depicting what is actually going on when we find ourselves in a state of resistance. But Mm -hmm. you were able to say, well, it's not that I'm being lazy. I can make this business. Um, But the resistance is coming from somewhere else. And your ability to sort of quickly say, like, is it, you know, an ethical issue or is it a I no longer have passion in this issue and sort of separate those two out, I think is a real skill and a talent as someone who, you know, I'm sort of like your ability to sort of go from one thing to the next is, is really enviable. Cause I think there's another thing I'm kind of picking up on is a lot of times there's this narrative that we have that if you jump from one thing to the next, that it's, it's deemed as like failures or like it didn't work out because of our own flaw versus in reality with your story, it sounds like almost more that you were coming in contact with your strengths, you know, that you were like, well, I have more 
integrity than this. And not to say that, you know, not, not to say that I, that one of those things has more integrity, but you know, that you have total a higher, you know, somewhere you want to be that's different than where you were. And, you know, I'm wondering if I can tease out one kind of thing from your journey is when you're making that decision, you're, you're having that moment where you're having a hard time getting out of bed. What questions mm-hmm. are you asking yourself? I know it may not be that overt, especially in the moment, but if somebody was like, they're finding resistance in their business and they can't decide if it's like burnout or they no longer align with their business, or maybe they just need a few weeks to, to veg out and watch Netflix. Like what questions would you ask mm-hmm. to sort of tease that out? Oh my goodness. I love this is like therapy. Um, (laughs) so I, (laughs) I found myself feeling like it was a relationship that I didn't want to spend time with. And so if you find yourself at that point, it's, I was only asking myself questions. I started journaling really heavily and that was incredibly helpful. I'd never been a journaler before. Um, but it was great because I journaled every single day, how I was feeling. And I would do it at the start of every day. So it was like before I would start working or doing anything. And I loved journaling because I was able to go back and look at patterns. And I was like, oh, well, every time I had to work with a client, I was feeling like I was bracing for my creativity to get zapped out from under me. So um, a lot of the questions I would ask myself or, and I still do, I do this all the time. I like, I'm not afraid of a breakup so passionately. And like, (laughs) I really have to work at not only making the business successful in the sense of like what we determine like a business to be successful, but I also have to every day work on my relationship to it. Because if I fall out of love with it, then it's not going to work. And I'm the, the, the relationship will fail. And if the relationship fails, the business will not be a success. So um, these, I guess, are the questions I ask myself every day. Uh, What about this project am I most excited to work on and why? I think everything I ask myself, I follow up with and why. Um, Yeah. And I try not to judge my answers. Like if I'm like, we just had to paint our house and painting our house was uh, our uh, neighborhood said we had to paint it. It was not our choice. And so, um, we, we, yeah, so we had to paint our house. And so like, I, that was a financial investment that we had to make in our home. So if something, if I had a client and I was excited to work with the client because it was giving me the ability to paint my house without being stressed about it, then like, that's okay. That's, it's not something to judge or look at in a negative light. Um, but I would ask myself, why am I excited to work on my business right now? What is the goal that I'm working towards right now? Um, what what can I see this growing into in the short term? And what can I see this growing into in the long term? And I try to think of it as like, not what it is today, but what it can be. And for so long, I think a lot of the business advice that I got, because I've I, I'm a big reader. I've got like a big bookshelf behind me. Um, I love reading stories of entrepreneurship and creativity. And I've noticed that a lot of the stories of entrepreneurship were written by, by men. Um, and so a lot of the advice that I got or the, the stories that I read were very, they were from one perspective and it just started to feel like I could, I didn't connect with that as much and I, it wasn't working for me. So when I'm looking at my projects and I'm trying to decide what step to take, I'm, I'm looking at them from like a, I call it squishy. Like I, I really try to take a squishy approach to what I do. Um, when I think I about that, what by the can. way, I don't want to interrupt you, but that's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Squishy and I take TM. squish. Yeah. 
squishy. <laughs> I take squish days. So once a month, I take a squish day where I literally just try to date my business. And that's just one day where I don't do anything work related. And I just sit on my floor and I journal and I like I sit on this rug right here. I stretch, I journal, I look back at my journal entries from the past month. I look for any patterns and I just, I look the beast directly in the eye because if I don't do that on a regular proactive basis, it will come back and haunt me. And then something will be misaligned and I'll be like, oh, what broke? And it's like, well, if, if you were looking at it, you would have seen it. Yes. I love that. I love that so much. Oh my gosh. Squish day. I love, I, you know, creating space is something that comes up a lot. And whenever I do interviews with people who are really creative is, you know, taking the time, stepping back, you know, we always think work has to look like one thing. It has to be at mm -hmm. a laptop or at an easel and, you know, producing, producing, producing. But sometimes the most valuable work we can do as artists and entrepreneurs or anyone really creative is a day where you, you just listen, you show up and you, you, you know, what can I do? Mm -hmm. And another thing I want to point out about your, your answer that I thought was fantastic is taking some space to say, you know, do I still need to take on this project to be able to paint my house or, you know, feed mm -hmm. my kids? And I think sometimes there's this notion that, you know, being really transparent with yourself and what you want and what kind of business you want and what kind of art practice you want can mean that, oh no, I'll just flop from one thing to the next. And I think sometimes when people hear that, they can also think that that is a really privileged take. And certainly there is privilege yeah. to being able to hop from one thing to the other. But what I really liked about what you said was that looking your business in the face and being really transparent with how you're feeling with it as if you were dating, you may not be in a position where you can immediately hop to another job because of limitations and all kinds of mm -hmm. totally logical things that are in your way that are making it hard. But even just being transparent about it and being like, well, I have to have this job for another year or two. But knowing that there's a pivot in your future and knowing what that looks like, even if you can't currently make that jump, I think can be really powerful too. Absolutely. Because you're thinking of your future self and you're thinking, what will they need? And what, what can I do today to help them? in like a really soft, squishy, loving way. Yeah. Yeah. A good example of that, because I love a good concrete example is um, I have a buddy on TikTok who's a fantastic wedding portrait painter, uh, Tiffany Freeman, actually just plug her. Cool. Um, no, she's really, really talented at what she does. Like, I mean, particularly fantastic. And she one time asked me, you know, do I need to do the gallery thing? What does that look like? And, you know, my answer was very, you know, everyone's individual, but you know, her point that she was trying to make is like, listen, I, I like what I'm doing right now. It's paying my bills. I enjoy it, but I feel the need to do the gallery thing to be more of a quote, real artist. And I think in, if I can mm -hmm. plug that into the sort of this conversation, you know, it, it's okay that if what you're doing is good for, you know, even like, let's say you have young children and for the next 10, 15 years, you have to be at a place where wedding work makes sense for you. That's totally fine. But you can also tend to your bigger dreams. And then when you do have sort of the space to make that jump, if that's what you want, you've tended to that. You've made choices that support that. You've made connections mm -hmm. that support that. And we can hold both of those things, even if our current situation limits us in some way. Not to say that what she's doing is limiting her, but I would just, you know, if, if what you're doing fits what you're doing now, um, you can still sort of pour in and tend to yourself in the future. I think that's the general takeaway there. <laughs> I love that. I totally agree with that.
So you wrote a blog recently that I really liked, and it was about dreamers and doers and how a lot of times we sort of think of them as separate people. You know, you're either left brain analytical or you're a dreamer and how a lot of times as a an artist, especially if you're an artist who is having to run a business or someone who does both, you know, you have to you have to do both of those things. And I was wondering if you could talk to sort of your philosophy around you know, how as a creative person who also wants to run a business or make it profitable, how do we balance both of those things together at the same time? Oh, uh, okay. So the concept is that they're, um, it, it analyzes dreamers versus doers. And I think that it's really difficult to be both. And um, when you are running your own business or project or whatever you want to call it, um, you kind of have to be both. And that's something that you don't really have to realize before you dive in. But then once you're going, you realize why it's so hard because the doer side of you has to make, make the job, make the work, um, do all of that. That's the doer, the person who fulfills everything, but the dreamer is the one who is, all creativity and coming up with the work that needs to get done. Um, and so if you're like a service provider, which a lot of creators tend to fall into, you know, service providers, um, it's really difficult because you have to be the one with the big vision, finding the clients, um, and you have to be the doer, the one who fulfills all the work. And those are like actually two separate jobs in traditional employment. Those are two totally separate jobs. So like in traditional employment, there's this CFO, C-suite execs, managers who are the, the dreamers. And then there are the doers who are like the employees, the managers, the folks who fulfill the work. Um, neither one is more important. They both need to be there to make everything happen. But when you're running your own project, especially if you're a solopreneur, you're both. And that's the, if you feel exhausted, like, yeah, it's exhausting. It's very, very difficult. Um, so you have to, in my opinion, recognize what parts of your work are the dreaming side and what parts of it are the doing side. And you, if you feel strongly connected to one of them or strongly disconnected to the other, that is a really great opportunity to find some help, either outsourcing or eliminating that side of what you need to do. Yes. I, I love that. And I, um, you know, I even talk uh, you know, just in the sense of being an artist, how a lot of times you have to separate the marketing part of yourself from the creative part of yourself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as an mm -hmm. artist, you know, one of the ways that that role can be really sandwiched together is being the actual artist because you're both your hands, you know, you're, you're painting and you're sort of dreaming up what this looks like. But as far as like the whole capacity of your, your business, I totally resonated with that blog and, you know, having to be in a position where you sort of identify your strengths and weaknesses. But, but even with like being an artist and someone who needs to market themselves, whether that's social media or whatever, you know, one of my pieces of advice is always to make sure you're not making decisions for the dreamer when you're wearing the doer hat and make sure you're not wearing, making decisions for the doer when you're wearing the dreamer hat or whichever way, I'm not sure if I got yes. that right, but vice versa. Um, and how having some of that space within your business before you're at a place where you can help people, even just doing that step can be really helpful. Um, and as my business has grown, I've, my husband who, you know, he is a Virgo and very much fits that archetype. <laughs> 
you yeah. know, helps me with sort of the the taxes and, you know, order fulfillment. And he's able to sort of do that. And it's created more space for me to dream. And I will say, and I know that that's a luxury and a privilege, absolutely. But that you're, I read that at the perfect time because it totally makes sense. And so if somebody's at a place, if I can follow up in their business mm-hmm. where they are finding maybe a little bit of space to hire out gig work, you know, they can't hire an employee yet, but maybe, you know, mm-hmm. what would artists tend to be dreamers. So we'll go that route. What mm. would be some of the advice you'd have for like, how can they hire things out? You know, I have some thoughts too, but I'm just curious mm-hmm. from someone who's done this three times now, like where would you begin to have someone hire out some of that doer work? Absolutely. Um, okay. So I do want to lead with the fact that like, it is such a privilege to be able to and hire out or outsource, however we want to phrase it. Um, it's exciting. I want to clarify that I think that there is a false narrative that's been perpetuated for a long time and business has changed, but there has been a narrative that you make it when you have a team, you know, having a team or having employees is like making it. And I can say from experience that, um, it is exciting to hire people. It is, a. it's, there's so much good stuff there, but you can build something beautiful and creative and something that's good for the world without having a team. So if you're doing it just because you think that that's like the, the next step for you, if your business is at a certain point, I would really encourage you to look at like why you think you need folks. If there's something specific that you need help with, my advice is to find someone who does that specific thing really well and who has an energy that you can work really well with. Um, I have had employees, I have had contractors, but my recommendation is whether you, I guess I would start with figuring out what you need help with, how you feel right now doing that task or that job, who is someone who could help you with that and how would their help look and how would their help change what you do, like, how would that enhance your dreaming side or what, what would it give back to you? Because the time we spend doing things isn't necessarily one-to-one, like for your art, for example, if you have to spend an hour doing taxes, that doesn't just cost you the hour doing taxes that costs you the hour that you could be creating art, but more importantly, it costs you the energy depletion that you don't get to take into the next hour that you create art. So, um, that's really the important stuff to be looking at if you're thinking of expanding your team. Having like a team of full-time employees is an enormous responsibility. Um, there came a point in my business where I, the, the business, uh, a few businesses ago, wasn't generating income and enough income. Um, and I stopped taking my own payroll to make sure that my team could get paid. And then I got to the point where I had to pay because if, if you can't do that, then that is putting a really negative, dark energy in your business. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point to bring up. And I, I like how you sort of dispelled the myth that, you know, it's it's that thing that you've been talking about this whole, um, you know, conversation is like, be clear, look your business in the face. Like, what does success mean for you? Like, you know, having a team feels mm-hmm. like a very good 
external marker. And yeah, I would make a great Instagram picture to be like working with my yeah. team at the warehouse. But is that what you want to have to do more mm-hmm. of? Because then you have to manage people and eventually you have to hire someone to help manage the people. If you want to be a good, kind, totally. responsible business owner and create a healthy environment for people. And so I think being aware of that is really um, mm-hmm. helpful. You know, I, I was thinking I've had, I had an episode, one of my first episodes was about like, in defense of the part-time artist. And one of my arguments was a part-time artist, you know, maybe you don't generate as much income because you, you have a part-time job or you do, you have a full-time job and you do art on the part-time, whatever that looks like for you, but you don't have to generate as much income because your needs are being met in some other way. And so sometimes people think, well, the leap, making the leap to full-time means that I've made it. But if I didn't have Lincoln, I would be working pretty close to full-time where I'm at just on the business side of things. So having a part-time job may be one of those things where hour for hour, you actually have as much time, if not more, to make art and you don't have to do product development and you don't have to do a whole website redesign and you don't have to hire out, you know, so it's just, I think looking at that and no one can know until you sit down and look at all, you know, all of your options. But I think that that's really good advice. And it kind of segues <laughs> us into our next question, which is about virality a little bit. So I know you have experience oh. with something going crazy viral. And if I could just maybe propose something that I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but it seems like what you're saying so far in this episode is, you know, if you don't want to do something all the way cranked up at like level 10, then get out before it gets to that point. And I think that your, your experience with virality yes. and your, your um, graphic design business, I, I feel like might illustrate that really well. So if you could tell us about that and what that was like for you. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that so much. Okay. So, um, this story pertains to when I was running the graphic design agency fonts and colors. Um, and I want to preface by saying that I am extremely grateful for this event happening. If it hadn't happened, I wouldn't have learned the lessons you and I probably wouldn't have connected. Um, so it did come with a lot of perks and privilege. That being said, um, this is kind of a story about going viral and getting what you want and realizing that it's not actually what you want. I think it's, it's put on a pedestal. It seems very sexy to have a post go viral. Um, and that happened to me, uh, back in January, 2022, I got COVID, um, and I was running my graphic design agency. I was working from home. So it really, um, I was able to stay at home and I just didn't really feel like working. I was sick. So I decided to not do any client work for a few days. And I had had a TikTok account with, um, steady growth. You know, we went from, uh, we had a couple hundred followers and then a couple thousand. And then I think at the time of this, we had about 40,000 followers, which was a significant account in the space, a solid account for sure. Those numbers always feel so weird. It always feels weird to talk about it, but just to give you some perspective, we had like about 40,000 followers and a very strong engaged community. Um, and then when I had COVID, I was like, oh, well, I can't really create anything. So I'm just going to create a little TikTok that shows people how to be creative on their own. And I just did something that I did all the time for my clients, which is I showed people how to make an email signature. Um, it was a minute long video. I, I don't even think I had makeup on. I was just like, let me just create this, post it, and then go back to the couch and watch. Um, oh, what was the movie that had come out? 
there was a Disney movie that had just come out that I was really excited to watch, yeah. but that's all I did. Yeah. Maybe in Encanto and or then, something. I'm trying to think I back sh- to pandemic times. <laughs> it was Encanto. Oh, yes. it was. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. It was Encanto. It was beautiful. Um, oh, and funny. so I checked, <laughs> I checked my phone a couple hours later and I was like, there were a lot more video views on it than normal. There were a lot of comments. Um, and then it kind of took off overnight and over the next week. And that video ended up getting like 16 million views that I haven't checked in a long time, something like that. And that it wasn't just the views. It was that our follower account or our follower skyrocketed for like, in my opinion, no apparent reason. It was a video tutorial about making an email signature and we went, we had over a hundred thousand views by that night. And then over the next month, it climbed and climbed and climbed. And we ended up getting about 400,000 one video, which was insane. Like I've never seen anything like that. Um, it, it was just, it was honestly so weird. And it was weird because I felt so happy in the moment. I thought I've made it. My email inbox was filled to the brim. I had so many people wanting to reach out interview requests and uh, client work requests and people who wanted to work with me. Um, I signed up for the creator fund because I print money. This is great. Like I can just be a full-time creator and run this account. Um, I I really thought that my life had like was about to change and that I was going to get to work with exactly the kind of clients I wanted to work with. And I had this clout of social media success following me. Um, And what I learned very quickly was that high is not healthy. So there was a really intense, intoxicating high of this success and attention. And then there was a real bummer of a low. Um, And I did not expect that. Um, I thought that the high would continue and that it would, you know, only get better and better and better. Uh, But what I learned really quickly after I had that video about email signatures, I made a couple follow-up videos that kind of clarified some stuff about email signatures. Um, and then I got back to my regularly scheduled stuff I wanted to talk about, which was fonts and colors and graphic design and website design. Um, and a lot of the recent followers that I got were only asking me about email signatures. videos started to not graphic design. So I, it's so hard to explain but I accidentally built an enormous community that was not the community that I necessarily wanted to build. And so for a couple months after that, I, I felt a very strong emotional connection to the engagement and success of what I shared on social media. I very much identified myself with that, which I do not recommend. And I'm happy to talk more about that. Um, and I felt like I wasn't being what the people who were following me wanted to be. And so I had this sort of identity crisis of, do I, do I chase what I think I want and just be their puppet, you know, and, and not to say that they wanted me to be a puppet. Uh, uh, they wanted excitement and, and authenticity. And I'm, I, I don't want this to come across like I'm blaming them either because it's not their fault. They were excited. They opted in. It's just like this algorithmic machine that I think can really mess with your, with your identity and your sense of self. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's such an exciting story. And I think 
probably not quite to the numbers that you said, but I think a lot of people who share their artwork or their passion or their business or project or whatever on social media, I think at this point probably have had a taste of that. And, you know, it doesn't have to be that dramatic for to feel that way. Certainly that sense of something is doing well, here's a hit of dopamine all the way to, I think a really poignant thing you said where you basically are at a crossroads where there's guaranteed success with massive numbers behind it on one hand, but it's tied Mm -hmm. to a version of yourself that isn't authentic to your own interests Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. another path without that guaranteed success and dopamine and excitement that is tied to yourself and making that choice and having to learn how to sort of navigate that in the moment. And I, I, you know, I totally kudos to you, you know, and I think you, you're totally right to make that distinction that, you know, people aren't wrong for like, oh, I, this is how you do an email signature. I want more of that. I'm going to follow you. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of sort of what I feel like there's this life cycle to social media and art online, which is a build and refine model. (laughs) And sometimes it can be really exaggerated mm-hmm. where your build is huge, like like you had. But then by choosing to continue on your content, well, it's a Venn diagram and there is going to be, there there are going to be people who are kind of in the middle. I was one of those people. Mm-hmm. I know I followed you for that. Um, uh, That's so funny. <laughs> for the... Um, what is it? The the handle, the uh, sign off, the email sign off. Cause I was like, oh, that's so cool. And I know I saved the video and I probably yeah. even sent it to, to Lincoln, but I, I liked who <laughs> you were when you kept showing up afterwards. And I feel like, you know, sometimes it's like you throw out yeah. a net and you pull people in and, and maybe you know, what you normally do is really different than what you went viral for. Well, you know, the Venn diagram is only going to have a sliver, but you're still going to mm-hmm. find people and like refining can seem like it's an easy thing. You just get back to regular scheduled programming. But if you're emotionally connected to that excitement and that number and that potential success and all those things that happen when you go viral, it can be a really hard mm-hmm. thing to do. And yeah, I would love it if you could expand a little bit more on like the emotional side of what that felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, it's so, and, and I think talking about it in hindsight, it's a little embarrassing. Like I'm so happy to be talking about it, but I want to preface by saying that I wish I didn't feel this way back then. And I'm so grateful for the growth, um, that it taught me, but I, I identified with that success and I identified with the, uh, with the numbers and looking back, the numbers don't matter as much as community matters. And now my focus is entirely on finding community. I think community is one of the most beautiful things online and offline. Um, And we should all be trying to find our people. Like I'm so grateful that we've connected because you're like, you're my people. And that's why folks are so excited to to listen to whatever you have to say and to watch what you have to make because you feel like they're they're people. And so that's what we think social media is, but social media can also be a comparison game and a, a measuring up game. Um, and that is not, not healthy, not fun, not serving us or our larger community in general. Um, when I, when I create content now and when I show up online now, um, And that's really, it it was hard for me to do in the beginning uh, because I had to take a big break from social media. (laughs) After that viral moment, I had a really tough time with social media. Uh, I analyzed the success of every post I made. It didn't feel good when things didn't 
continue to go viral. And I hate that they could, they didn't feel good. You know, I hate that I kind of gave them any emotional energy because it influenced how I worked with my clients and my own creativity. And then I just sort of had a really tough battle with it for a few months and I decided to take a break. It wasn't entirely because of social media, but I did take a break for two months. I deleted all the apps. I didn't look at anything. And oh my gosh, I was so much more peaceful in those two months. I mean, it was, if you haven't taken a social media break in a long time, I could not encourage it anymore. Have you? I know. And this is so bad. I have not taken more than maybe two consecutive days off of posting since January of 2016. Uh, it, it is, it's, it's atrocious. I I'm getting there mm. admittedly. So when you're like, Oh, I shouldn't feel that way. Let me just say like, you are talking to someone who is very connected to online. You know, I, I put up boundaries. I'd like to say it's not as bad as it sounds, but I do think the proof is in the pudding. The fact that I haven't taken off a long break. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, this is good. You said it was therapy earlier and now I'm like writing this down. <laughs> I'll go go sit with this for a minute. But no, I mean, oh. but here's the thing. It's funny when you take, when when you take a break, as you as another person who I respect and I think is very creative and I, I look up to you and I think you're awesome you know, you're gone. I miss your content, you know, but like, in it just goes by really fast. And then you're, you're back and you're kind of, you, in one instance, you came back with a rebrand and it was awesome. But mm -hmm. you know, that to me, when you do it, I'm like, that's so healthy. That's so good. And I think like where we're getting to the quintessential sort of therapy problem <laughs> is whenever mm -hmm. I apply that logic to myself, the, the first thing that comes up is that I, I, I'm going to let my family down or, you know, I've got to keep showing up to have that success so I can keep, you know, things mm -hmm. afloat. And, and it just starts to feel like really, I don't know, like you do tie some of your worth to that. And I would say like, I've gotten to a point where it really isn't a numbers thing, but for me, it's mm -hmm. the consistency thing, like where I'm still having to do a ton of work is like, I feel like I don't deserve my success if I'm not constantly showing up. And I know we just totally deviated into like deep mm. therapy moment for a second, but I no, think I love to, it. to highlight it, like I think virality and even success, you know, we think of that only failures can really illuminate the spotlight on our struggles, but I think you really put it wonderfully that sometimes even success can do that, can really shine a spotlight on things that we need to work through and, you know, figure out ourselves through. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been amazing watching your journey. So I guess I'm going to have to like go after this and go on a walk and think about what you said. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And it's a lot like going to a spa. You know, when you take a, a break away from social media, you come back and you are glowy and you are hydrated and you are refreshed, like emotionally, you know, you're more creative. Um, I, it, it's interesting because we don't really understand how much this is pulling us down day to day until we take a, a, a break from it. And I also want to say that it, it's not the same for everyone. I'm not uh, demonizing social media because it's it's such a tool for connection. Um, it brought us together. You know, without social media, we probably wouldn't know each other. There's a lot of people listening to this who, who have connected using social media. So if you find that it's anything more than a tool for connection, and if it's uh, altering your sense of self to take a break, I had a really... Um, uh, amazing moment last summer where I was doing this big daily meditation. It was a really deep personal journey. And I had my computer on one side of my office. I was laying in my office. So I had my computer on one side and I had my bookshelf and my, um, my paintings and art and uh, craft materials on the other side. And I just kind of opened my eyes and I looked at the side of my office with the computer and I kind of associated it with social media and work. And I realized that it was like this 
this dead thing. And then I look death and one side is life. And I really connected to the death side of things and realized that I had been trying to plug myself into the dead thing and hope, hoping that it would give me life. And I kind of realized in that moment, like I could never plug myself into this thing. That's not truly alive and expect that it would give me life. Instead, I can plug myself into the life and, and continue the cycle of life and energy, and then use the other tools, the way that they're meant to be used, but only if they're giving life, if at any point they're not energizing, then I need to change how I use them. Oh, that's such a good, beautiful way of like describing that of having, you know, your computer and social media on one side. And then the other side of your space, you have your, your crafts and the things that give you life and books and sort of realizing like you could put your energy and your time because it's only finite. I mean, you can't work, you know, 20 hours a day. You have to be a person and looking at the side that like fulfilled you and say like, well, I'm, I'm going to plug in whether it's work or whatever into that side and, and letting that sort of help, help guide you. I think that's a wonderful way of, of putting it. And I, I'll say the last kind of thing on the, on this note is, you know, one thing that came to mind is numbers and algorithms and, and analytics, oh, analytics, they, that would, ref- mm. that would care and I'm a Karen, you know, quotes, if you didn't show up for two months, you know, it would, it would tank and it would take you a while to dig out of that hole. And yes, there would be repercussions on numbers, but a community, if you've put your energy into building a community, a community not only wouldn't mind if you took a couple months off, a community would say like, good for you. I'm excited. When you come back, you'll be better Mm -hmm. and you'll be better to show up in your community. And, you know, I think, I think that's a good way of sort of like, framing it is like you have to mm-hmm. by building community by prioritizing people over numbers connections over analytics that that's how you have to navigate that tricky tricky line between like social media and work and all of that I love what you said and how you said that um and one last thing I'll add in if I can about um social media and your relationship to it is something that I've tried to work on is emotionally disconnecting from how a single piece of content performs. And what I've tried to do is start with my true self, start with an idea, start with the magical thing inside of you that you want to share with people. And for me, it's like, maybe it's an idea that I have or a book that I've read that I really want to share with my community. So I'll, I'll write about it. I don't put any uh, pressure on what I write about. I just write down what I'm thinking my business or my projects or what have you. And then I will share that piece of content in like a long form. So like on YouTube or a podcast or um, a video, and then I will splice that up into short form pieces of content. What that has done for me is it makes me really emotionally disconnected from how each single thing performs. Because if someone, you know, if I get no views on something or if people don't really connect to a single piece of content that I make, that doesn't really matter to me because uh, I know that I started from a very true and authentic place. And so that is actually harder to, the, the not getting emotionally involved with the uh, performance, it's harder when things go well. Like, so I'll have a piece of content that goes, well, it really connects with people and I'll find myself getting excited about that. And I actually have to put the brakes on it and say, hold up. We don't, we don't invest emotionally in this. And um, it's hard to do that when things go well and more is just allowing yourself to 
to not depend on that, that dopamine. Yes. Yes. Beautifully said. No, I I think that's fan. That's fantastic. And such good advice. You know, one thing that sort of will happen with me, just a little anecdote is, um, if I love a painting that I've made and I like, I've slept on it and it's like, it's, it's, it's beautiful. I love it so much. And I post it and it doesn't do well. It doesn't phase me. It's a little bit like, oh man, people are missing out on this one, but it doesn't like, I doesn't stick with me yeah. at all. But if I have a painting where I'm kind of unsure, and I think I maybe needed to work on it a little more, if I post it and it doesn't do well, I, I feel it in my soul. And so I wonder if like oh. you saying that you come from a more authentic place and you don't sort of get too attached if like if making sure that you are as aligned as you can be with your content before you Mm -hmm. post it could be a part of that making space from social media strategy I guess yeah absolutely I love that um and I I had gotten myself kind of plugged into like the marketing side of business development where I was like okay and and I was on the marketing side being brand and web design so it was really natural for me to you know sign up for a lot of courses and memberships that were like here's how to uh, find your content pillars and here's how to connect with your audience and I'm not trying to disparage those industries because I think they're helping a lot of people if it helps you you should do it I found that it didn't help me to invest my energy into paying attention to that too much. I wanted to go back and like rewind step by step by step and go back to where is, where the idea is coming from? Where's the creativity coming from? How do I kind of make that the best and glowiest little being that it can be? Um, and then I just kind of let, I, I parcel that out and share it with the world through pieces of content, but I'm never like, Oh, this would make a great post. Let me record that. And then feel like all this pressure on that piece of whatever video or uh, image, but it's hard. It's still a struggle. (laughs) I think it's, no, it's great. We could probably even dedicate a whole other podcast just to that process. It's so deep, but I really want to talk about your new business. I I think I would want to talk to you even if you hadn't started it. I think you're just, you know, an insightful person to chat with, but I am really excited Mm -hmm. for Passion Land. So if you could tell me a little bit about Passion Land. Yeah. I just, I'm excited for my audience to hear about it. Oh, I mean, I'm like in that ooey gooey business crush phase with Passion Land. So like, I'm just, I'm so excited about what it is and what, what it has the possibility to be. Um, it's, I'm an offer strategist. And so what I do is I help people with their offer strategy, which on the surface feels like so black and white and old school businessy, but I'm really trying to bring a lot of color and excitement to this space. Um, I want it to feel vivid. I want it to feel feminine and glowy. Um, and squishy. Like, I think your business should be squishy and fun and it should be a relationship that you want to show up for. So, uh, I happen to do that through offer strategy. And I think that there are three steps to building like a perfect business. Um, and the first one is finding your magic and your magic is like that thing that you do that is so magnetic that people are really attracted to. Um, and then you turn that magic into offers, which are products and services. Some of them might be free. You know, you might do things for your community that are totally free. Um, but some of them might be like courses, digital products, um, prints, uh, for artists, it might be, uh, like education, things that you know about 
turning your magic into ways that people can access magic. That's really what offer strategy is. Um, and then the last step is uh, scaling with systems. And I have a hard time with the word scaling sometimes because it feels to me like those books that I used to read that were like these dudes saying, you got to scale your business and you got to grow and you got to be the next Silicon Valley thing. And like, I, it, I don't really align with that anymore. Um, and when I say scale with systems, what I'm trying to say is automate in your business what can be automated so that you can go out and have the squishy creative life that you want to have. I want people to eliminate any parts of their business that they don't really need to be doing um, so that they can go live better lives and they can save their creativity for the the magical side of their business. So I, I enjoy every part of the process. I like helping people who are at the beginning who don't really know what they want to do, but they, they, it, they don't want to start a business because they're like, Oh, I want to start a business, but they, they want to, um, they want to, they feel like there's something magical in them and they, they don't know how to turn it into something that the world needs. And I love helping pull out what the world needs, what they're really good at and what they're excited about. And that's really the center of that is what someone's magic is. Yes. I love that. I, you know, whenever you first started teasing what passion land was going to be, um, mm -hmm. first I fell in love with the branding, but of course that's no surprise. You're incredibly good at that. Um, <laughs> it's no, very colorful. I, it's very brand for you. <laughs> it's, I love it. No, it was so great. Uh, but yeah, you were talking about like sort of supporting and uplifting creatives and already here, like my ears are perked because I feel like uh -huh. with, with artists, you know, and creatives, people who listen to this podcast, because of the way the world is sort of shifting and more and more people are going to find viable ways to be content creator artists sort of things. I feel like one industry that we're lagging in is sort of support needs for those artists. And most of the industries we have mm -hmm. now, like managers and things like that are very predatory because there isn't mm -hmm. a rule book on how to successfully run sort of a solopreneur type business or like how to, or, you know, it also within the art world, even when you go to art school, you don't get a class on mm -hmm. how to be an artist because the only way to be an artist in the eyes of art school for the most part is to go through the gallery system. And it's it's a great system, but it's a little antiquated. A lot of times for early and mid-career artists, that doesn't really stack up. And so I found mm -hmm. that a real pain point for a lot of um, creatives and artists is that you want to just be creative. You want to have that time, the squish time, the time to just go out and geek out about rocks and maybe you find a way to integrate that into your artwork. And I think that not only is that like nice, but that's kind of the core of being an artist is that tending to yourself as a creative human. But I find that a lot of times learning how to monetize that in a way where you're not just dependent on, on sales of uh, individual pieces of artwork or, you know, you have print, like how to sort of automate all those things is most people's pain points. So when you started mm -hmm. talking about you know, creating systems and support and having a practice that supports your desire to, to be a creative human. I just, I just automatically kind of fell in love with what you were doing. So my question, my, my call, mm. call to action question here is what would you advise if somebody was an artist, you know, and they were wanting to come to you and they, you know, sort of said, well, my art is my core. Is there anything you would help them with tease out? Cause I feel like sometimes if I can lead a little bit, People just think that simply the fact that they make art is kind of what makes them special. And I find that usually what's special 
is more of like your story and kind of what, I don't know, like there's, there's something else in there too. So I'm curious mm -hmm. what you would do with someone who is in that kind of predicament. Uh, oh my goodness. That's such a good question. Um, I would really want to walk them through the things that bring them joy, the things that they're passionate about. One of my favorite questions to ask is what do you feel like the world needs? And like, is, are you up to the task of doing any of those things? Uh, a message I keep getting from a lot of books I've been reading about the creative process is that it's actually an immense weight to put on your creativity to provide for you financially. So I'm sure that that's something that's coming up in the, in the art community where your creativity is literally what's providing income for your family. And that's, and that's security and food and, and options. Any is a really, it's options. If you, if you have options, you can make choices. And so if you're putting all this pressure on your creativity or your art to give you options, that's a real heavy weight to put on your creativity. So if the, if your art is really what matters, there might be ways to create options elsewhere so that you can show up and be creative and let your art just be your art without all that pressure on its shoulders to, to give you and your family options. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say like every artist needs to have other sources of revenue, but I love to promote creativity and give it the relief it needs to be its most squishy self. Yeah. I, I think that that's such good advice of, you know, finding, I love how you equated money and options and sort of using those things interchangeably. Cause you know, again, with that like external marker of success, having a business team is like some marker of success. I think sometimes when we make our financial goals, you know, it's, it kind of feels like a feast or famine. It's like, you know what you need to keep yourself running. And then also you have like a big number because you want to have a big number in your bank account. But I think, you know, a good way that you contextualize that is by saying actually the way you should think about money in some senses is it can give you the option to, you know, travel and do art or take on this other kind of business and do art, you know, and, and I think that's a really good point. So it, it gets back to something that I've told artists a lot through the years is, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And I think sometimes people get really shocked when I tell them that my sales of original artwork is not the main pillar of my business at all. It, it's mm. actually, it's definitely the most inconsistent. And I would argue mm. maybe even numbers wise, it's not my biggest. Mm. You know, I remember when I first started being an artist, uh, you know, in a full part-time, full-time capacity. I very quickly zeroed in on like, this is not going to be sustainable. If I have to just rely on making a painting and then selling it, I can't do this. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I had to get creative with like, well, do I want to teach? And that's the thing, like not everyone does. I know plenty of artists who are fantastic. They're nice people, but they're just like, I never want to teach. I love it. I know other people who want to, they don't want to teach skill, but they want to mentor. Or I've met artists who have set up online, like how to start a website, little courses, and they charge for that. So I feel like there's a lot of different ways that you can begin to sort of automate what you do. You know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious, like if somebody, you know, they're like, okay, well I do, I want to mentor. Like how could someone monetize that? Like what would your next piece of advice be for someone like that? Oh, there's so much. And I think that's where I was really drawn to offer strategy because I find that there's so much creativity in how you package someone's magic and it feels like art to me. And I really hope that I don't bother or offend any artists no, by saying no, that, no, but like, good. 
setting, <laughs> setting up a business to me feels like a form of art. Like it's a creative expression. It's how you're taking what you do, what's inside you and delivering it to the world and giving them a way to interact with it. And if you want, if teaching is not for you, there are a lot of ways that you can turn your magic into things that people can support. So if you like to write, you can start a blog, you can start a paid newsletter, affiliate marketing. It, it tends to be aligned strongly with the influencer community, but affiliate marketing is an insanely massive market. Um, if you have supplies or processes that you found work well for you, you can share those and collect affiliate commissions. You do have to be very careful about the legal requirements. You know, you do have to let people know if you are sharing an affiliate link that it is an affiliate link. Um, yes. My lawyer would really appreciate that I said that. Yeah, yeah. Check in um, on your FTC rules. Definitely. Exactly. Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, group coaching is also an option. Like if you want to maybe not do one-on-one stuff, if you want to create um, like a group community, you can be a community leader that way. Um, memberships are also like a delicious way to uh, to create value for your people. So if maybe you're, um, you're really plugged into the collaging community, you can create collage elements and create resources for other people who are in that industry. Uh, but it really comes back to, it doesn't always have to be art related either. I know I'm giving a lot of examples that uh, are parallel or aligned with art, but um, if there's something else that you're passionate about that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the art that you create, you're allowed to do that too. And your art can be your art and your business or your job can be your job. And I, I think that in the entrepreneur space, jobs tend to have a different flavor than businesses, passion project of your art. And you, you feel in your bones that the art is something that you need to create in this lifetime. The world needs that. But in order for you to do that, you should do whatever you have to do. So if that means getting a job that someone else has created, like absolutely that is a great option. Or if it's creating a job for yourself through a business, it's maybe not like your number one passion or the number one thing that you think you need to be doing. Well, you're, you're creating a job for yourself so that you can do your art. Um, there's just so much. Uh, my recommendation is to, to find your community, to look at what your community needs and find things that you can do to serve them. And then you're on this beautiful Ferris wheel of you're building things for your community and your community is helping you build the business right back. I really think that's where the future is looking for solopreneurs. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it reminds me of something I tell my, my, my audience a lot. And it, I've talked about this in my online art school, definitely a lot, but there's as many ways to run a business as there are ways to fill a canvas. And mm -hmm. I know that seems like a short little, but you think about it. Like if you fall in love with painting, cause you found someone on Pinterest who does these, you know, floral scapes. And then mm -hmm. you're like, oh, I want to do that. Like, you don't have to just paint floral scapes. Like, just because that's mm -hmm. someone else's model of making business and running a business and they work with a gallery, like, well, maybe you don't have access to flowers. And if no matter how many times you try to paint a floral scape, like, it's just not going to work. So you have to be super duper creative with how you run a business. And I even like how a lot of what you mm -hmm. suggested is like, well, maybe you don't even have to do something in art necessarily. If you are good at something else, like you can get a, you know, something that's really scalable on the side. And like, I feel like sometimes as artists, we think that all of our creativity can really only go to our art. But if we sort of take mm -hmm. a step back and say like, 
I am an overall creative person. If I sat down, you know, with mm-hmm. my skills and what I have access to and my resources and sort of made diagrams or mood boards or, you know, however you think, you know, people could probably, um, you know, come up with other ways that they could support their, their, their art. And I think something you've mentioned a lot in this episode that I love is sort of putting the pressure on yourself creatively is just really, really tough. If you want to just, you know, sometimes the best way we can protect our creativity is by not demanding income out of it. And I know that that's definitely been Mm -hmm. my case, but it's also something I've seen other people, you know, do online also. Oh, absolutely. Um, And it's something that I've really tried to make a mantra for myself is I am not what I make and Mm -hmm. um, I don't make, you know, uh, fine art or I'm not, I'm not creating and selling art, but I think that that's a really amazing thing to remember if you're in the art community or not, um, is that you are not what you make and you are not, you are not how much you make you, you are not the things that you make. And by realizing that you don't associate yourself with the success of the things that you make. So if you create a job for yourself, that's utilizing another one of your skills, or if you're employed by someone by utilizing one of your skills, focus on doing a great job at that. And then letting anything else that you want to work on that you want to make be its own, its own energy. Not everything deserves the same sort of energy from you and the same levels of creativity from you. Yes. Yes. I love that. Yeah. And I guess like my final kind of question, I I would, I could chat with you forever. (laughs) You know, so if somebody if somebody, their ears perked up with what you were saying in particular with passion land, if they're like, you know what, I, I, I need to sit down and I want to figure out how we can make this, you know, either start another business, maybe they already have a seed of an idea, you know, what does it look like to get in contact with you? And what does that process look like? Do you chat with them one-on-one? Is it a video call? Like, what does that look like if somebody wants to go that route? Uh, so I have a few different ways to work with me. Um, I really want to help people at all stages, whether they're finding their magic, whether they're building their offers or in the scaling and automation side. Um, I encourage people to reach out on my website. It's passionland.co, C-O. Um, I offer like DIY solutions. So if you're on a DIY budget, if you're just getting started out, I have this thing called the magic finder, which helps you hone in on what your magic is and really figure that out. Um, I do that every six months. It's just something that I was doing for myself that I turned into a fun little digital whiteboard for people to be able to do on their, uh, on their own. Um, but I also offer, um, I'm starting a group coaching program in June, uh, called the offer strategy bootcamp, which is, a the most like accessible way to work one-on-one with me. This is a group program that'll be four weeks long. People can join and I will uh, help them craft their offer strategy, find their magic. Uh, and I am introducing this concept called the business model archetypes, which we could honestly spend a whole nother podcast talking about, which is all about like how your offers relate to one another. Um, and then taking care of your systems and automations. But the most common way that people work with me is through strategy days. And these are one-on-one eight-hour sessions where I basically come in and I'm like your business BFF. I, I uh, look at everything that you're doing um, and I try to really align with how you're feeling. That's like the most common question I ask during my strategy days is like, okay, well, how do you feel about that? What what do you want to be feeling? Um, Where's that feeling coming from? Because I think, and maybe that's more on the feminine side of things, but I really, I, I don't like thinking about businesses in these like 
these numbers. It's more about how does it make you feel? How are you going to feel tomorrow if things keep going this way? Um, so in the strategy days, we do all of the business strategy and offer strategy side. We write business plans. We do the things that feel like the old way of doing business, but I really want to infuse them with, with creativity and, and feelings and empathy and, and designing the life and the business that you want to be living in the future, because that's really what I, I feel like we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That sounds amazing. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit to my audience about, like, I've had a couple of people on who do like kind of coaching things. And I feel like sometimes mm -hmm. if you haven't had a coaching experience with someone, it can seem a little, like, I know I felt kind of weary of it before I signed up for kind of coaching stuff in the past, but I will say I have done mm -hmm. like business coaching and like things like that in, in my in recent past. And I have found it to be incredibly helpful and transformative. So like one of my like wounds or sore spots is that I don't have a lot of older, like grownups in my life. Like my parents are out of my life and I'm just really isolated. Mm -hmm. And so I've always been like, I just want to mentor. And a part of the content I make is like, I try to put that energy out there because I want that so bad. And like what you were mm -hmm. saying earlier with like money can sometimes be options. One of the things I give to myself every year sort of out of my business is it's going to sound really technical, like professional development. I know I roll, but basically what that mm -hmm. translates like to me is it's, it allows me a little bit of a budget every year to pay for a mentor or, you know, or like pay mm -hmm. for the opportunity to um, chat with someone. And I have found it to be one of the best resources. It's not for everyone. And I will say a little like freebie tidbit is, you know, you, and I, I know I do this with like teaching online. Um, a lot of times before you're ready to commit financially to something like this, you can follow the person you're interested in. And a lot of mm -hmm. times they give out a lot of really great free info or like book recommendations mm -hmm. and all kinds of good stuff. And so I've, I've always been the kind of person who, if someone has a, an offer, I will follow them and pick all their little breadcrumbs up. And sometimes mm -hmm. I can get the gist of what they're saying. And then sometimes I'm like, no, I, I really want to talk with this person. But I guess I just wanted to mm -hmm. say, like, I very much like have found that working with someone, getting someone else who's dedicated and passionate to sort of help you mentor, talk you through some things, especially as artists where everything feels like it's all in our heads has been incredibly helpful. It is. It's beautiful. It's these, it's these little communities that we're all building, you know, um, and you're allowed to be part of several communities. So if you struggle with something, like if you struggle with say website design, uh, then you can find a community of people who care about website design. And usually there's a community leader and maybe you want to work with that web designer because they are excellent at what they do. It takes you realizing that there's something that you are not the best at and that, that you, that could use some improvement and could use some love and you get to invest either your time or your resources to find someone who can help you with that. So it's not saying like I'm, I'm not enough. It's saying, oh, there's growth opportunity for me in this field. And I love myself so much that I will do what I'm capable of to grow in that area. And like, that's, that's yes. just such a beautiful thing. I wish that for all my friends. Yes. Yes, absolutely. That's a, that's a really great way of wording it. And again, bringing it back to community and exchanging what you can for that insight and time. And it's definitely been one of the best, maybe other than my printer, it's been one of the best investments is like having, you know, hiring someone, working with someone who has that expertise. It's just, it's so transformative. I know it's not 
you know, there's different ways to learn, but I definitely can't recommend it enough. And speaking of, I may or may not work with you in the future. I'm very excited of like everything you're saying. I'm like, oh, that sounds amazing. That's exactly what I need to hear right now. So <laughs> we'll chat afterwards, but I wanted to say just thank you again so much for being I here. I know passionland.co is your website. Is there anywhere else that people can find you if they want to learn more about you, if they want to follow you, where should people go? Um, I'm on, I'm on the apps. Uh, so I'm on social media uh, healthily as healthily as I can be. Yeah. So, um, I'm on Instagram and TikTok. My handle is passionland.co. Um, and on YouTube and Twitter, I, I don't fully, I, I think my handle is passionland or the passionland, but, um, I am trying to create more long form content on YouTube because if you can't tell from this interview, I do like to talk. I like to share. Um, I'm really trying to see my role right now as someone who's absorbing a lot of information. I do a ton of reading and then I try to pull things out that I think my community needs and share them through, through a different lens. Um, and on that note, there are some books that I've read recently that I think would be really amazing for your audience. Are you okay if I do a few? Yes. Book oh, please. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So, um, if you were, interested in like learning more about money. When I was talking about money as options, I got that idea. Um, after I read the book, we should all be millionaires by Rachel Rogers. Um, mm -hmm. and if that title is like upsetting to you, I think that the book actually might be really healthy for you. Uh, Rachel Rogers talks a lot about money and like unpacking, um, how you relate to having money and how, especially as women, it's important for us to have money so that we can make the world the place that we want to be. So we can, we can build things that need to be built and we can provide resources where resources are needed. Um, I just, that book was really life-changing for me. And I, I love how she, uh, unpacks money mindset issues. Um, I've become a big fan of Austin Kleon, um, who writes, uh, we share how to steal like an artist and show your work. Have you read those? Um, I haven't, but it is, I'm doing a summer book club and I think steal like an artist is on that list. So I, I know okay. of him. I know his whole shit. Okay. I think he lives in Austin. So yeah, I should I know. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yes. His stuff is really incredible. What I've actually learned a lot from him, uh, or learned from him recently was that, uh, you don't have to blabber on to share a point. His books are really gorgeous because they're so short mm -hmm. and um, his points are so concise and they're all that they need to be. And I really love how he translates these big, deep concepts in a very brief and concise way. Um, and especially as artists, I think it's, it's just, uh, it's a great pair of books. I think he has a third one too, but those are the ones that I've read that help you take what you're making and to feel comfortable sharing it, which is something that I struggle with too. Um, so another one um, that I read recently, that is the book that I cannot shut up about. I love it so much. is called Chill and Prosper by Denise Tuffield Thomas. Um, it was actually recommended to me by Brittany Reed. They're an artist uh, who I worked with on business strategy. And I'm so glad that they recommended this book. It's Chill and Prosper and how to uh, figure out how to make a business that you feel very like that makes your life feel chill and easy. And it's not about working less or not working. It's about only doing work that you love and finding help and, uh, eliminating stuff that you don't need to be doing. It's just one of those books that everyone I've recommended to absolutely loves. Um, it, it's on my must read list. And then the last one I'll recommend is the creative act by Rick Rubin. 
Um, it's just a, it's in it. Have you read that one? No, it's on my wish list. I, I, I'm an avid reader. Oh. And so I just kind of get through my, my book list right now. Yeah. Oh my goodness. It's a great one. Um, it's one of those that I think I'll reread every quarter for the rest of my life. It's just all about creativity, glowy, beautiful energy that creativity has in our lives and how we can care for it. Um, and I, I just, I, I love that book. I love learning about creativity. Do you have any books that you're loving right now? Oh my gosh. Um, Let me think. So I'm reading, um, you may also like, which is kind of about like how we like what we like and what shapes our taste and our interest. I think, I know I've read a lot of really good ones. I've been reading a ton of books on color theory because I just did a huge section for not sorry, art school and color theory. So I actually have a couple, I think you might like, you were, you were big into color theory for a minute there. And I want to, On Color by David Scott Pastan and Stephen Farthing. I'll I'll write these all in the show notes and I'll write it to you later too. But that one's really good. And then Full Spectrum by Adam Rogers. He's a, a writer for Wired. He did a really good piece on the dress debacle. It was like the two shades of colors. Is it mm. like blue and black or green and gold? Um, but his whole book is really, really interesting. And then I'm trying to think. There was another color one that I thought was fantastic. I, you put me on the spot. I have so many. I'm I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. You're good. You're totally. I, yeah, I read the book Bunny recently, but that's like totally like random dark academia. Anyways, I, you've unlocked another interest of mine. So I'm going to, for the sake of being succinct, I'll end there, but I am starting a book club. I'm going to do it. I think every year it's going to be a summer book club and oh. um, I'm buddying up with Megan Collins, who she's a cultural anthropologist I had on an episode past, but her and I bond over loving a good book. And so anyways, if you want to follow along, I'm putting out graphics soon and yeah, it's going to be really fun. Oh my goodness. I'm excited for the graphics. I'm excited for the book club. It's, it's, and, and books who are just like uh, going back to what we were talking about with personal development and professional development. It's, it's such a beautifully more accessible way to, to work on things that you want to work on. Um, and I do, I want to do a very small plug for Libby because I discovered it this year and it is just made reading so much more accessible. If you don't have Libby, Libby is, um, a way where you can listen to audiobooks or rent books through your local library have to pay or, you know, buy it from someone that I didn't feel emotionally connected to. So, um, Yes. If you haven't gotten on Libby yet, Libby is amazing. Yes. I'll link that too in the show notes, but that's, yeah, Libby is fantastic. I, you can get, I think um, if you're in Texas, if you are in, you can use the Houston library anywhere in Texas to get access to books. So I don't think you have to live in Houston. So there's, there's workarounds. Definitely go to like Reddit and Libby and see if you can find. So there's lots of ways that people can get access to those books, but yeah, a little hack of mine. If you find a content creator an art, you know, an artist, a writer, someone who you're vibing with, ask them their top books. Um, especially if they're on like TikTok mm-hmm. and they want to make content anyways, it's a really good way to get some insight into kind of what they're interested in. And I, I've found that to be really helpful and helped me with a lot of really good book recommendations. So anyways, <laughs> mm. um, but Look thank you it. again. Look I, at all of us just making the world. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, I have just, I want to be respectful of your time, but you, you are amazing. Thank you so much for for chatting with me and for helping me with my website no, uh, and just being amazing on, <laughs> online. And you are definitely someone I, I would recommend people follow. You give out so much great insight and information and you're just a fun person to watch, you know, go do businesses and create new things. And you definitely take that whole um, business 
you know, it can be art in and of itself to its fullest extent, I feel like. And yeah, thank you so much for sharing all of your insight with my audience today. And thanks for being on. As always, I wanted to take a moment to thank everyone who takes the time to leave a review. It is tremendously helpful, especially for a podcast in its first season. It's also wonderful to read y'all's insights on how the podcast is doing. Today, I'd like to thank Art. I'm totally butchering that, but that is at L-I-T-S-C-H dot A-R-T is the handle. Thank you so much for your kind review. And as always, if you'd like to have your handle, your social media handle read off on next week's episode, make sure to leave a review. Let me know how I'm doing. And yeah, as always, I appreciate you guys and happy creating.